You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On December 24, 1914, the first Christmas Eve of World War I, a British soldier noticed something strange happening along the Western Front in France and Belgium. Rifle fire had been replaced by Christmas carols. Through the icy fog, soldiers could make out the flicker of candles and the dark silhouette of little fir trees positioned along the German lines. Germans have illuminated their trenches, are singing songs, and wishing us a happy Christmas, the officer reported to headquarters. Compliments are being exchanged, but am nevertheless taking all military precautions. For a brief moment that night, and into the next day, the war ended. Enemies laid down their arms, and Christmas spirit overtook men on both sides of the trenches. The temporary truce of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in 1914 has since come to be regarded as an unparalleled moment of light in the darkness, a short-lived breath of peace during the bloody slog of World War One. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm All That's Interesting contributor Kalina Fraga. Today, we'll take a look at the Christmas truce of 1914. World War I started in the summer of 1914, following years of powerful struggles and shifting alliances between the great powers of Europe. The assassination of Austrian Archduke Franz Ferdinand by Bosnian Serb nationalist Gravillo Princip on June 28 provided the immediate spark for hostilities. The armies of Europe quickly lined up against each other. France, Britain, and Russia on one side, and Germany, Austria-Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire on the other in a brutal conflict that would ultimately drag on for four years and result in the deaths of more than 20 million people. But at the beginning, most actually believed that the war would be short-lived. As German troops swept west across northern France and Belgium, they marched with confidence. Surely, they thought, they would be home in six weeks. Soldiers on the other side viewed the war in a similar light. British soldier Bill Hain remembered people telling each other that the conflict would not last long. Everybody said, it'll be over by Christmas, he remembered. Friends told him, you've got to get out soon, otherwise you won't see anything. But the Germans failed to take Paris in September during the first Battle of the Marne. Then, they began to dig trenches in preparation for a grueling, drawn-out war of attrition. Meanwhile, the First Battle of Ypres had dragged on for a month, only to end in a stalemate. Both sides began to settle in, digging trenches in the cold ground, staring at each other over a thin stretch of neutral dirt called No Man's Land. In some areas, little more than a hundred feet separated the two opposing armies. 
trenches eventually stretched 475 miles from the North Sea to Switzerland. Slowly, painfully, no man's land began to fill with the bodies of the dead. Soldiers on either side couldn't even retrieve their countrymen without being shot, and as Christmas neared, there was no end in sight. French and German casualties were in the hundreds of thousands. The weather was miserable, rainy and cold, and the early confidence that the war would soon end had begun to fade. Yet, appeals for peace fell upon deaf ears. On December 7th, Pope Benedict XV pleaded with both sides that guns may fall silent, at least upon the night the angels sang, that is, for a truce on Christmas Day, hopefully one that could lead to negotiations and a peace. He was ignored. By the time Christmas Eve came around, it had been raining for weeks, making life in the trenches all the more dismal. But on December 24th, the storms suddenly stopped. Instead, a light snow began to fall and gently blanket the ground. British private Albert Morin recalled Christmas Eve 1914 as a beautiful moonlit night, frost on the ground, white almost everywhere. Men settled into their trenches for a subdued celebration. The German government sent their troops small Christmas trees and candles. The British soldiers received brass boxes containing candy or tobacco. The battlefield went silent. Then, somewhere within the German lines, dug in French and Belgian land, soldiers broke out in a chorus of Silent Night. German's rendition of Silent Night was greeted with a British performance of the first Noel. A British soldier named Graham Williams remembered the moment. He recalled, First, the Germans would sing one of their carols, and then we would sing one of ours, until we started up O Come, All Ye Faithful, and the Germans immediately joined in, singing the same hymn to the Latin words Adest Fidel. And I thought, well, this is really a most extraordinary thing two nations both singing the same carol in the middle of a war. Moments like this happened spontaneously up and down the trenches, although mostly between the British and the Germans. Captain Arthur O. Sullivan, a British soldier stationed in Rue de Bois, France, heard a German voice cut through the night. Do not shoot after 12 o'clock, and we will not do so either. Then, if you English come out and talk to us, we won't fire. A German lieutenant named Kurt Zeimzik wrote in his diary, I have ordered my troops that, if at all avoidable, no shot shall be fired from our side either today on Christmas Eve or on the two pursuant Christmas holidays. We placed even more candles than before on our kilometer-long trench, as well as Christmas trees. It was the purest illumination, the British expressed their joy through whistles and clapping. Like most people, I spent the whole night awake. British private Frederick Heath described a similar scene, writing in a letter home, We kept up a running conversation with the Germans, all the while our hands ready on our rifles. The night wore on to dawn, a night made easier by songs from the German trenches 
the pipings of piccolos, and from our broad lines laughter and Christmas carols, not a shot was fired. As a chilly Christmas Eve brightened into Christmas Day, the uneasy peace continued. German soldiers emerged from the trenches, calling out Christmas greetings. Sometimes they held up signs, promising not to shoot. At dawn, many British soldiers could more easily see the Christmas trees set up along German trenches. Men of both sides began to emerge, moving cautiously toward the opposing army who, only a few days earlier, they had tried to kill. Rifleman Oswald Tilly of Britain wrote a letter to his parents describing the scene. He wrote, Literally hundreds of each side were out in no man's land, shaking hands. As the day continued, the men exchanged small gifts. They offered each other things they had on hand, souvenirs, like cigarettes, food, buttons, and hats. Many of the Germans spoke English and engaged in conversation with the British. Significantly, the pause and hostilities allowed both sides to collect their dead. A 19-year-old British private named Henry Williamson recorded the day in a whimsical letter to his mother. He wrote, Dear Mother, I am writing from the trenches. It is 11 o'clock in the morning. In my mouth is a pipe. In the pipe is tobacco. Of course, you say. But wait, in the pipe is German tobacco. Ha ha, you say, from a prisoner or found in a captured trench. Oh dear no, from a German soldier. Yes, a live German soldier from his own trench. Yesterday, the British and Germans met and shook hands in the ground between the trenches and exchanged souvenirs. Yes, all day, Christmas Day, and as I write. Marvelous, isn't it? But not everyone was thrilled by the sudden outbreak of peace and festivities. A British general forbade his troops from interacting with the enemy. A senior army officer, upon learning of the Christmas truce after the fact, immediately issued orders stating that such a thing should never happen again. A young Bavarian soldier named Adolf Hitler also condemned the laying down of arms on Christmas Day. To his fellow troops, he sneered, such a thing should not happen in wartime. Have you no German sense of honor? But such a thing did happen. Many first-hand accounts from Christmas Eve and Christmas Day 1914 leave no doubt about it. But one particular anecdote from the truce has since become the stuff of legend. This is the story that many of us know, that, amid the fog of war, two sides lay down their arms and played a friendly match of soccer, called football in Europe, on Christmas Day. But is it true? The truth is obscured by the fact that one war veteran, a poet named Robert Graves, wrote up a fictionalized account of the soccer game in 1962. In Graves' account, an organized match between British and German soldiers ended with a German victory, 3-2. Many claim that this, down to the score, actually did happen. It does seem that Graves based his rendition on facts. There are several first-hand accounts of soldiers kicking around makeshift soccer balls. But an organized match? A letter that surfaced a few days after Christmas 
from a British doctor described a football match played between them and us in front of the trench. Official accounts from his same brigade claim that no such thing could have happened. Why? The British trenches were weakly held. It would have been unwise to let the Germans get so close. But up and down the trenches, more letters from soldiers support the fact that unorganized games did take place. One German account describes the scene as a regulation football match with caps casually laid out as goals. The frozen ground was no great matter. He explained, We organized each side into teams, lining up in motley rows, the football in the center. He also noted a score of 3-2, Germans. One German eyewitness went on to say that the game lasted about an hour, that it had no referees, and that it was played with great enthusiasm. He also notes that once the commanding officer heard what was happening, he ordered an immediate halt to the match, and both sides drifted back to their own trenches. Recent studies suggest that at least 100,000 people participated in the Christmas truce of 1914, either by directly engaging with enemy troops or by abstaining from attacking. But despite sporadic attempts to repeat the holiday peace, it would never happen again. By the next year, soldiers were battle-weary and bitter, and commanders discouraged it. The Germans, however, tried several times to repeat the event. They initiated a truce for Easter in 1915 and were rebuffed by the British. That December, Allied leaders gave explicit orders that troops should not lay down their arms for Christmas. The Germans tried again in 1916 and 1917, but to no avail. The 1914 Christmas truce stands alone as a moment of festive peace. By the time World War I finally ended in late 1918, some 9 million soldiers had died. This devastating conflict would usher in an age of modern warfare and introduce new, deadly methods of combat like poison gas, warplanes, and tanks. But maybe it didn't have to be that way. One British participant, Murdoch M. Wood, spoke about the Christmas truce on the floor of Parliament 16 years later. I came to the conclusion, he said, that I've held very firmly ever since, that if we'd been left to ourselves, there would never have been another shot fired. The dispute, after all, was between nations, not between the men huddled in the trenches. Others viewed the truce differently. Some even saw it as a moment of dishonor. This perspective was brought sharply to the light when a French filmmaker sought to recreate the Christmas truce for his film Joya Noël, which came out in 2005. He tried to obtain permission to film on a military site and was turned down. A general told him that the military would not partner with a movie about rebellion. Still, most continue to see the Christmas truce as a moment of humanity during a terrible war. In 2014, Britain's Prince William marked the occasion with the unveiling of a monument at the National Memorial Arboretum in Staffordshire. The monument itself? A metal frame representing a soccer ball encasing two hands engaged in a friendly handshake.
Today, the Christmas truce of 1914 stands as a reminder of the power of our shared humanity. As British private Frederick Heath said, how could we resist wishing each other a Merry Christmas, even though we might be at each other's throats immediately afterward? Blood and peace, enmity and fraternity, war's most amazing paradox. Thanks for listening to History Uncovered. I'm History Uncovered's producer, Kit Westneat. If you like the show, help others find us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And be sure to follow the All That's Interesting and History Revealed pages on Facebook and Real History Uncovered on Instagram. Make sure you don't miss out on the new episodes and subscribe to the History Uncovered podcast. And keep up with our latest stories at allthatsinteresting.com. If you have a question about the show or just want to say hi, feel free to call us at 929-526-3029 or email us at podcast at allthatsinteresting.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Legends of the Old West and Redacted History. Until next time, keep exploring. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.